Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as always is... The esteemed Glenn Sizemore. Glenn, how you doing, sir? You and your damn soundboard over there, man. You're just, <laughs> you're just a box of tricks. I'm doing really good, Pete. All righty. Well, sitting next to Glenn, we have Mr. Andrew Sullivan. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well today. How are you today? Doing good, doing good. And lastly, we have a visitor today, Mr. Jay Goldfinch. Jay, how are you? Doing good, Pete. Sorry about uh, sorry about the phone call the other day. Um, apparently, uh, um, Pete Fletcher sounds a lot like Keith Richards when a three-year-old is screaming at you, so I thought <laughs> I'd won a prize. Yeah, you're so, right. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called, apparently, I called him to schedule him for this show, and he thought I was Keith Richards, so that was interesting. Uh, Jay Goldfinch is here to talk about the uh, release candidate 8.3.1, so we're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we do, we've got to go through our agenda, which will be State of the Union. Glenn, a lot has happened since the last time we've been on, so I think we should at least take a couple of minutes and address that and uh, share with you guys the uh, changes that we're that are going on with the uh, podcast. Then we'll dive into 8.3 with uh, Jay Goldfinch, and if we've got some time after that, we can finish up with some announcements. What do you say, Glenn? Yeah, sounds like a plan, man. Awesome. All right. So... Number one, if you were listening to the uh, teaser in the beginning, you would notice right away the name of the podcast changed. <laughs> yes, sir. We are now officially the Tech on Tap podcast. We are aligned with a, a larger group inside of NetApp, the Tech on Tap. So you may already be subscribed to the uh, newsletter. And if you're not, go to community.netapp.com and subscribe to that newsletter. But yeah, it's more than a newsletter. It's actually a, a full group of uh, evangelism, podcasting, blogging. And uh, so I think it's a pretty cool group to be part of. What do you think, Glenn? Yeah, absolutely. The 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 First and foremost, the one thing that I want everybody to understand is uh, that this has been in the plans for over a year. Um, you know, we, we when the podcast was first launched uh, with, with, with our, our dear friend, Nick, um, our, our corporate editorial stuff was, was very, very, very different, uh, than what it is today that a lot has changed. You know, the company in all, in all honesty is very different today than it was, you know, three years ago when this, when the show first started. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, along the way we all recognize the fact that, okay, well it's time to bring this thing in. You know, we, 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 we need, we need to, to align the brands a little bit better, uh, just to make it easier for people to understand and, and consume content. Uh, and, and that's what we have all been doing for the past, you know, 60 days is just a lot of meetings, a lot of getting stuff squared away. And, you know, here we are, episode zero. We're back for the relaunch. We got some some exciting stuff coming. The 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 name change isn't just branding. Uh, with it comes some, some more uh, corporate support. So we'll be able to do some more exciting stuff with the listener base. Uh, at events uh, and and stuff like that, so it, it's all gr it's all great, man. It, it's happy days. Absolutely, I think one of the better parts of this is the fact that now uh, somebody who is a veteran to the show, who's uh, joined us on many uh, episodes, talking about Docker containers, talking about VMware, vSphere. The guy's a he's a subject matter expert for just about everything that's in our in our world. Is Mr. Andrew Sullivan? So I would like to officially welcome Andrew to the podcast family. Thank you. It's great to be here, and uh, I. Something I've enjoyed participating in over the years, or over the past several months in particular, uh, I've had more and more frequent participation, and uh, 
happy to be here. Happy to participate with you guys on a on a weekly basis. Absolutely. Yeah, hoping to get you on. Uh, we should do a whole episode. I know you just got back from DockerCon. Uh, I really uh, we haven't talked much about it since you've been back. I, I'm looking forward to doing a full episode on uh, on DockerCon and containers and all that. So be prepared for that. Absolutely. I hear there's something to this container thing. So yeah, happy to talk about it. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So let's let's officially bring in, even though he's been sitting here, Mr. Jay Goldfinch to the uh, fold. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about an announcement that came out on June 25th, the release candidate of Cluster Data ONTAP 8.3.1. Well, we do want to get into that. But real quick, just because it occurred to me that, that we, we're, we're continuing as if this was episode 81, and really it's episode zero. You know, Jay, we might have new listeners here. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, Jay Goldfinch, Clustered on Tap uh, Tech Marketing. I cover date on tap releases, so the most recent of which was 8.3.1, which has some great functionality in it, uh, especially around all flash configurations. So I've spoken with you all in the past. I think we covered maybe 8.2.1. I think we covered 8.3. Right. I know we covered 8.3. So um, happy to be back here to, um, to kind of talk about the, the payload that we've got in 8.3.1. Awesome, awesome. Is it just me, or are these uh, conversation of ours, they feel like they're speeding up? feels like you're coming in here more often to talk about these big releases. We have had a lot of, of great functionality in 8.3 and going forward. So I suspect that, and I, it's my hope, that I'll have the opportunity to speak with you all more often because we are delivering, you know, again, at a consistent uh, cadence and delivering some really good functionality. Cadence is good. I like cadence. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, this uh, 8.3.1 was a, a pretty hu humongous release in terms of feature set. I was actually, uh, this seems like something that was would be a full-on release. For a .1 release, I, I'm, I'm actually impressed, and we're going to run through as many of these as we can. I think we should obviously start with uh, the fact that a lot has happened with all Flash FAS in 8.3.1 as compared to 8.3. So if you could, Jay, could you just kind of explain to us a little bit about some of the changes as it pertains to all Flash FAS? Sure, so... Going back to 8.3, one of the things we did um, with the all flash FAS uh, configuration, uh, or and now it is its own its own product family, was we we reduced the code path um, in terms of of what the I/O has to do when it's coming back out of the system, specifically while avoiding a number of calls inside of Waffle, which weren't really required because you know SSDs don't have uh, some of the uh, inconsistencies that you see with spinning media and so we were able to cut some of those code paths out um, we did something similar in 831 around um, raid in particular there were a number of, of paths there that we could cut out and something big that we've got in 831 is inline compression and nice. what we're seeing with inline compression is in 831 is performance that is similar to what we saw in 8.3 without compression in all flash FAS. So, in other words, if you are running 8.3 today, and you obviously don't have inline compression, and you upgrade to 8.3.1 with inline compression, you're going to see similar or, in some cases, better performance with inline compression. So, that was due to not just that, you know, making sure that we got that right, but also you know, cutting out some of these paths, these code paths that, um, that you know, uh, were suboptimal, I suppose, for, for, for SSDs. You know, I'm going to go on a tiny bit of a tangent here because I want to get your opinion on something, and it's going to circle back into this, this uh, inline compression conversation. But 
when when eight three first came out, I was personally like super bullish on on our future in general, uh, not just because of where we had uh, gotten to with with uh, cluster data on top from from a from a port pro, from a product perspective, but but for me, one of the most exciting things was the fact that that eight three didn't have a seven mode release. It was only clustered data on top. So going forward, I I, I was kind of looking at it, going, well, you know, we've been going through this transition, for, you know, <laughs> basically re-implementing one of the most sophisticated storage operating systems on the planet into an even more sophisticated storage operating system. It just took time to get it right, right? Yep. But with eight three, that work was done, and 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 my belief was going forward, we would be able to to uh, innovate faster. And 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 make bigger leaps because we did we weren't we weren't doing that porting work anymore. It was all just net new. It was all just just feature driven and and customer request driven. Is is from where you sit in in the product team? Does that track? Do you, do you get do you see that? I believe that's true. You know, when I was in the performance engineering organization, I used to you know we used to run all these suites of tests. You know, yeah. all these micro benchmarks and you know uh, other workloads meant to mimic OLTP and that that sort of thing. And if you looked at our testing matrix, right, you know, you had half of it was seven mode and half of it was CDOT. If you're cutting out half of that work from a QA organization, you're able to deliver a lot better, newer uh, functionality sure. going forward because you've got more bandwidth to, to, to test, more bandwidth to implement. And I think that that's true. I also think that one of the things that you'll see more often now is people calling clustered on tap just data on tap, right? Because as of 8.3, there's no need to disambiguate, uh, you know, clustered on tap in seven mode, right? So there's, I think we, it, you know, at some point, or when you hear data on tap, it's going to mean, you know, cluster, what we call clustered on tap today. So I, I absolutely believe that that's true. I think that that has helped us uh, deliver more functionality in the 8.3 timeframe. And I think that it has helped us, um, Make sure that we meet, you know, the quality and the cadence of our of our releases. So, speaking of uh, performance regressions and, and the QA testing that, that you mentioned, I'm curious. Like, A3 has been out in the wild for a little while now. How's our ASAP data coming in? How, how is the field deployment rate looking from a quality perspective? Since we've been tracking disruption metrics, yeah, um, A3 was the highest quality major release we've ever had. Really? Yeah, uh, and I think a lot of that is, you know, there are a couple of factors at play here. One is the fact that, again, we're able to do more testing with um, with 7-mode cutout. Also, um, one of the things that George Curian, who's now our CEO, did when he was in product operations, was um, really put a focus on do more tests and do more tests sooner. Yeah. You know, um, almost like an agile methodology. It's, you know, this is... Obviously, we've got a big development organization. We're not going to be able to do a bunch of scrum stand-ups with, you know, 2,000 development engineers or whatever. Um, but there's a lot to be learned from that kind of mindset that says, you know, test your product continuously. You know, when you when you do a check-in, make sure that check-in's clean. And um, when it gets into the, you know, into the code line, make sure that you're continually testing. And I think that that, that, that methodology has really uh, borne fruit in terms of product quality, particularly in 8.3. And I think that we'll see similar metrics around 8.3.1, um, very, very high-quality releases that we're talking about here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, just the, the, we've seen, uh, we, know who, we know the people that were over there. You know, a, a lot of NetApp system test guys came out of the vert space uh, and, and went in there to, to, 
uh, go drive and, and make sure that uh, we were getting those those very unique uh, test cases that are that are unique to those workloads and you know fruits of those labors, right? Absolutely. Yep. So does does removing seven mode also reduce the the technical debt that we have to account for? Yeah, I mean as as these development engineers are going through, you know, the the code, and they see something that uh, that we don't need anymore, they can they can cut it out, which does reduce the amount of code, um, you know, that that maybe is redundant or that they have to maintain. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it does. It, uh, it not only reduces the uh, the complexity of QA, but it also reduces the the complexity of development. Awesome. So Jay, we've been talking a lot about in improved inline data compression. How does that how does that look in eight point three point one? Very good performance. Again, looks similar to 8.3 without compression. So it is an 8 KB group size, which um, which we feel is uh, reflective of real-world workloads, not this uh, 32K random I.O. nonsense uh, that we've heard um, out there. You know what? Hey, b- b- before we... I'm going to keep derailing this podcast. We're never <laughs> actually going to get to talk about the 8.3.1 release. But but I think that's a good... Let's Let's pause and talk about that for a second, because... That the I/O size right now in this industry is being used as FUD. You know, there's just people out there creating, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt around storage array performance and and benchmarking in general, which I I, I really kind of shake my head at everybody on. Um, it, benchmarking is is critically important to to our industry in particular. Anyone who who works for a storage company understands this. We need to be able to measure our performance from one release to the next because that's the only way that you know that you're going in the right direction. And and to use IO size as as this this weapon, you know, it it really just kind of disgusts me on, on a fundamental level because it's turning customers off to the whole concept of testing and measuring. And, and and I think that's just evil. Like, I, I really, really don't like it. Well, that's why we've got, you know, an SPC1 publication um, in the top five, you know, results of, of all time. Um, not, you know, the uh, folks that we hear this uh, this FUD from, yeah. neither one of them is, is in, the, in the top five. Um, you know, audited performance, you know, it's... Um, you can get in a in a proof of concept if you would like to go out there and test performance. The box speaks for itself. Yeah, you know, um, it's because um, when you get right down to it, that is it is fud. You know, it's thirty two k random I O. R- well, really? <laughs> well, well, well. Let's 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 actually just address it, right? So so the way that this all started uh, for for those of you who who perhaps don't follow Twitter as religiously as I do. Um, the, there, there, there was some performance benchmarking publications published by a certain vendor um, that, that showed it, it was what we call a lab queen. It was 100% read, small working set size, 4K, 100% sequential, that, that dream workload from a storage performance platform perspective. And, of course, they screamed, right? And, and instead of coming back with a... Okay, yeah, but let let throw some rights in there, throw some real. Why don't you use an industry standard benchmark instead sure. of just throwing iometer or making VD bench go as fast as it can? You know, let's use something that that we can actually compare against somebody else, like the SPC one. The actual result was 4K is benchmarking Lab Queen territory. Real IO is 32K, and and that is bull. 
there is no facts behind that at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when they develop these benchmarks, right? They they look at OLTP workloads. Yeah, you know, they, you 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 look at the fact that you do have a an AS uh, you know, an ASU three LUN that is that is being written to sequentially, and you're seeing a lot of random um, I/O, you know, around eight K all over the rest of the system. Of course, you have some variable a uh, variable size IOs in addition to that. But for databases, you know, that's what you typically see is an IO size of around eight K. With VDI, you'll see you know eight or twelve K. I believe it's um, this is pretty fundamental stuff you know this is uh, a lot of effort has gone into into modeling this and a lot of agreement between storage vendors with respect to what that io actually looks like that's these folks agreed to it because it's because it's real i'd also like to add that i mean for for netapp customers right particularly if you're running cluster data on tap atop 2 or above right anything with qos you don't have to guess you can find out exactly what your I.O. size is, exactly what your read-write mixture is, just by turning on QoS. doesn't have to be a policy with any kind of limit, right? Turn on a policy with an infinite limit, and it will characterize that workload for you. So you can find out exactly what your I.O. is doing. You can take that to your sales team. You can take that to your SE and work with the, CP, the CPOC team here in RTP, right? The customer proof of concept. And they can show you exactly what will happen when you change from... A, a hybrid system to an all-flash system, or the inverse. Right? You yeah. can definitively know these things. Yeah, I know a certain Brazilian performance engineer that will absolutely <laughs> love to show you the tacos that he eats every single day. Yeah. So, Shit. yes, t take advantage of the tools that you have, and don't don't guess, right? One of the things I tell customers constantly is just turn on QoS. Yeah. Right. Turn it on to get that I.O. characterization. And you know what? It makes your next sizing really easy, right? print that off, hand it to your sales team, and they know exactly the type of system to sell you in order to meet your performance needs without having to do over-provisioning. Nice. Yeah, I wish we as an industry could, could just get back to working with, with the Performance Council and, and quit. You know, NetApp, fortunately, I happen to work for one of the companies that, that, that I believe is, is a healthy citizen in this space, um, but, but it would be nice if all of us could just get back to working with, with standard, standard workloads. If you don't like the workload... Let's work to fix it, right? That's what's happened with the SPC. Yep. We're getting SPC3. It's going to be a compressible workload. You're going to be able to use storage efficiencies. So the vendors that, that are whining that they can't they can't do a run because they can't turn it off, they'll be able to turn it off and do their runs. You know, th these are standard bodies. You, if you don't like the standard, work with the body to fix it. Absolutely. But don't go off and just create your own custom little workload thing and then declare everyone else is lying. It's just not healthy, man. Yeah, You're yeah. just lying. Lab Anyways. queens don't, yeah. Not, not applicable. So we started this conversation around what the differences were in 8.3 and 8.3.1, uh, particularly with All Flash Faz. Apparently, All Flash Faz is brand new because it has its own little logo on the gear now. Is that is that the case? Yeah, just like Faz is FAS, uh, you know, All Flash Faz is AFF, right? It it has its 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 own product family. It has a distinct uh, personality associated with it that defines certain behaviors that are optimal for all flash configurations. It is its own product. It is its own product family, right? So says on the bezel, yep. AFF. Um, it is an 8000 series HA pair with SSDs um, only. It's got to run 8.3 GA or later um, with this flash optimized personality enabled. So AFF is is its own thing. It is its own array, so to speak. It can... It can exist inside of a cluster with a hybrid system or with a, you know, a capacity system or, or whatever. You can, of course, 
where you've all covered the value prop many times. You can move workloads around while the data is being written to and read from. Right. You can still do that that same sort of thing. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, it does have this unique personality associated with it that makes it an AFF and its own. We also did, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we also did some pretty exciting stuff around just bundling and packaging uh, with, with the AFF. For, you know, for instance, SSD standard warranty, seven years, hard stop. Right? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, let's not, that's how confident we are in our wear leveling, guys. We're going to go ahead and just slap a seven year warranty on a hard drive that doesn't come with one. Yep. Yeah. As of the last time I checked, not a single SSD had been returned due to wear. And if you think about that for a second, that means that the whichever customer out there who's running off flash fast, their heaviest write workload has not worn out an SSD. Well, it makes sense, though, right? I mean, if you think about how AFF works or how, how ONTAP works, right, at, at the end of the day, it's still waffle, right? Anywhere file layout, we're always writing to free space, which means that we're never doing in-place overwrites. In-place overwrites are how you kill an SSD because you artificially yep. wear level a single NAND cell to the point where it is, is no longer usable uh, while the adjacent cells around it are still usable. By, by evenly accessing all of the cells organically, we're, le we're leveling the entire drive as one. And I'm sorry, there just really aren't workloads out there that can wear level a single drive across all of the cells in a seven-year period unless you're purposely trying to kill it. You can purposely kill it. It'll take a while. Well, you know, it's 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 not just that. It's also the RAID implementation, right? So you're not going to wind up with a with a hot parity drive. You know, it's yeah. um, it's it it is natively flash capable. The, yeah. the architecture the architecture lends itself well to flash because it is write optimized, snapshot you know natively snapshot capable because it is writing to free space which means you don't have to worry about these program erase cycles on writes that sort of thing it's um it it just natively does um exhibits desirable characteristics for flash it's it it has fit quite well with data on tap i'm 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 very very happy to see us put our money where our mouth is because internally we've been talking about this for for the better part of a year and a half about how waffle and and on tap may be the the best uh, uh, flash OS in market today. Like, get, forget your built from the ground up nonsense. Yeah, like this thing built twenty years ago is still superior to to any architecture out there on the street. You want to talk about next generation media, whatever. We can have a conversation, but don't don't give me any of this nonsense with flash. And and for us to just step up with with AFF and say, guys, look, we'll just warranty it. You don't have to think about this. Yep, problem solved. And you know to. I think to some of our competitors' credit, they have um, done, you know, perhaps because their systems have fewer features, have done a, a good job of making a simplified interface, which is one of the things that I like about All Flash Faz, is that when you, you know, when you boot this box up, you point at System Manager, you, you tell it uh, what uh, type of database you're running, what type of application you're running, automatically configures it for, you know, according to best practices for you and deploys it for you automatically. You know, and that's that. I think is I, I can't fault uh, folks for building things that are that are simple, and I don't think that anybody around here is going to fault anybody for that. Um, but I think what we've seen is that we're we've learned from that experience, right? We we have listened to our customers, and we have um, kept that in mind as we move forward with all flash fast. This desire, most people don't want to think about storage. You know, it's yeah. somewhere it's somewhere between. 
I don't know, paying taxes and taking out the garbage or mowing <laughs> the lawn or something, yeah. you know? People just want their applications to work. Sure. And, you know, it's it can be easy when you're when you think about storage all day to forget that. But, you know, I think that has been a real fundamental reminder to us to keep it simple and to, you know, to really optimize for the use case. Yeah, I think it was Dan Isaacs, right, our all-flash-fast TME, who was saying that out of the box it takes 15 minutes to be up and running with an all-flash-fast. You can be, from the time you plug it in to the time you're provisioning storage off of it, 15 minutes or less. Yeah, and let's let's not forget, guys, that's not an accident. That's engineering. Yep. Right. Th- that team set out to solve this problem, and this is how they did it. Sweet. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on all-flash-fast because we will be getting Dan Isaacs in here probably within the next month or so to do a deep dive on all-flash-fast. So let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Metro Cluster. I know there have been some changes in 8.3.1 as it pertains to Metro Cluster. Can you can you start us off tell us, telling us what are some of the key changes there? Sure. So, um, you know, when we release Metro Cluster, let's go back to a 7-mode Metro Cluster, right? 7-mode okay. um, uh, Metro Cluster was, was effectively... You can think of it as an HA pair yeah. that's separated by you know a, a long distance, right? Which meant that you know if you wanted to do uh, you know some sort of maintenance on one of the nodes that you had to fail over to the other the other site, right? You couldn't do a local fa- uh, failover, which is one of the big advantages of clustered data on taps metro cluster um, you know implementation. You have two two node clusters, one at each site, up to two hundred kilometers apart. And if you need to do a failover or you know a takeover, a give back to uh, you know to um, uh, to fi- you know fix hardware or whatever it is that you need to do, that's not a site-wide failover, right? That's just a local, lo- HA. local HA. Sure. Um, but you know, one of the things that we had customers ask for was the ability to have you know similar something similar to what we had in seven mode, which is a you know a single node at each site. So we've we've delivered that in several different configurations in eight three one. Okay. You know, maybe maybe these customers wanted to keep their costs down. You know, maybe they wanted to keep their their floor space down. I don't. You know, for different reasons, folks have asked for that. So we deliver three different flavors of that in eight three one. A stretch metro cluster, which is kind of like stretch metro cluster in seven mode, right? It's um kind of like a uh, you know two nodes that are that are stretched apart. This uses uh, optical cable, right? So if you have optical cable infrastructure, you can you can deploy this this stretch metro cluster to you know a two node up to five hundred meters apart. Stretch metro cluster with auto bridges is for folks with uh, with fiber channel infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, and they need to use those bridges uh, to implement something similar. Okay, the distance depends on the existing. Uh, uh, fiber channel infrastructure, but it is similar, right? It is um, more of a campus-wide sort of DR. It's not uh, 200 uh, 200 kilometers apart. Okay, that makes sense. That's definitely 7-mode. I I was glad to see that come back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, folks needed that for for campus-wide DR, right? For, you know, if you you have a a building burned down or whatever, you know, but not a full site-wide catastrophe. Okay. Right. And finally, fabric metro cluster, uh, two-node fabric metro cluster. This is the most similar to what we had in 8.3. The difference is here that you have one node at each site rather than two. A same 200-kilometer uh, distance limitation, which, by the way, is due to the speed of light. Um, I always tell people that it's it's funny when you think about metro cluster and the speed of light. Like the speed of light doesn't really seem to have any sort of measurable impact on the world around us. Like you don't really have to think about it. Most yeah. people don't have to think about it that much. But with respect to latency between 200 sites, well, you know, to keep that right latency in um, in a reasonable uh, you know um, window, that is the reason for the 200 uh, kilometer uh, distance limitation. 
Now there is one more thing here. Uh, um, you can we also now support a single mirror data uh, aggregate for active passive configurations. So if you had a metro cluster configuration and you just wanted the single data aggregate with this, you know, two node configuration, you can do that now in in eight three one. Good grief, man! That was like the whole wish list coming out of the eight three. You just listed yeah. off everything that I heard coming out of eight three, where people were like, "Oh man, this release is awesome," but you know, metro cluster really needs this feature. You just went through the whole list. Yeah. Well, you know, Metro Cluster is a huge differentiator for us, right? It is, um, as far as I know, the the only all-flash synchronous mirroring solution out there. I don't know of in, of any other ones that are native. Yeah, you know, yeah. that are native to uh, to the operating system. Um, you know, SAN, unified SAN and NAS access. You know, we could run through the list of differentiators for clustered on tap. They also apply non-disruptive operations. They also apply to uh, to Metro Cluster. Right, so we we want to be able to provide people uh, with uh, you know whatever it is that they need to deploy Metro Cluster effectively in their organization, and for most folks initially that was two node configurations. So we've got a number of options for them in eight three one. Nice. And just just as a point of clarification, you were saying that it's it's a node on each side. Those are single node clusters, correct? That's correct. It's still two clusters, right? Um, okay. Uh, conceptually, it's kind of similar to Storage Virtual Machine DR, um, SVMDR, which is something we'll talk about um, later yep. oh, yeah. in this podcast. Uh, you can think of, of it as being conceptually similar to that, but it is two single-node clusters, one at each site. That's correct. Well, yeah, that's that's hardcore feature parity there from 7-mode, and, and uh, plus. <laughs> that's yep. fantastic. Yeah, no, the, the, the plus is the part at the end, right? Yep. You know, this isn't just, oh, well, we did it this way before. Let's port the code. It's, well, we did it this way before. Now let's all sit down think about, like, we have a chance to start over. What would we change? And and I think Metro Cluster is an outstanding example of where we took what was a wildly successful platform. Like, let's not forget, 7-mode Metro Cluster was number one in Germany, which is the largest market for this type of solution. Right. Right. We basically own it already. And 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 from that leadership position, still took a, took took a step back and said, "There's there's room for improvement here. Let's 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 make a better product." Awesome. All right. Well, let's let's uh, switch gears here. Let's talk a little bit about an enhanced foreign LUN imports. This is uh, this is something I'm not overly familiar with. So I, I'd like you to share with me what exactly is enhanced foreign LUN imports and how does that uh, improve in 8.3.1. A foreign LUN import was introduced in 8.3, and it was a bigger hit than I than I had expected. You know, going and speaking with customers and executive briefings and that sort of thing, the amount of excitement that I saw over that feature was was greater than I had anticipated. What 8.3 does is it allows you to uh, the the NetApp storage system acts as an initiator, targets a third party storage array, it can be an E series too, um, and we pull in the LUN, we import the LUN. Um, you all gave me a hard time for calling it LUN slurping <laughs> last time. But we pull in the LUN from the third-party storage array, and then we can serve the, the LUN back out. In 8.3, that LUN had to be offline during that operation, right? No I.O. could be occurring to the LUN while that import process occurred, which meant, you know, if you yeah. if the import process took three hours, that meant that you had to have a three-hour window for your yeah. outage. Okay. Now, with um, enhanced foreign LUN import. Um, if you ever hear it called online FLI, that is an old term that we don't really use because you do have to switch over the host system to the clustered ONTAP uh, target 
okay. right? While it's importing the you know the third the lund from the third party storage array. But the advantage here is that you the time window required to switch over might be minutes or seconds if it's scripted, right? You're switching over um, to the you know the clustered ONTAP system. You're targeting that. The import process occurs in the background. Okay. Right. So you can target the LUN with I.O. while that LUN is being accessed, right? Um, of course, there's planning involved with this, right? I don't want people to walk away thinking that this is a, an easy thing. You do want to make sure that, um, you know, that your target system is going to conform to the appropriate support matrices, this, that, and the other. There is you know, planning up front, but that actual cutover you know, went, just went from three, four, five hours, however long it takes to pull that LUN in from the third-party storage array. To seconds. Oh, nice. So now you can actually do the cutover. Once the cutover is complete, then the actual slurping, as you as you uh, yeah. said earlier, actually can happen online. Right, right. It is effectively online slurping. So at what point does the <laughs> at what point does the system disconnect from that third party target and and just use its its copy as the only store or as the only copy? Once once the loan has been fully, fully imported. imported, right. Um, and it also uh, fix any misaligned um, I/O. Really, it does that? Huh? Yeah. Awesome. I could see this being a big thing for uh, for seven mode to C mode uh, upgrades. Then, huh? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a that's a possibility. I don't I don't really um, uh, have a lot of information on that in front of me, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see. Nice. Something. All right. Well, we talked about feature parity earlier. One of the things that I saw uh, missing uh, that we had in 7 mode for forever, uh, I see it's now finally in uh, C. or cluster data on tap 8.3.1, and that is SVMDR. Man. Yeah, Storage Virtual Machine DR, another name. Uh, the, uh, the name that we w are going to market with it is SnapMirror for Storage Virtual Machines, but SVMDR has had a lot of traction. So I think that you can ex probably expect to hear the two terms used interchangeably. Uh, so SnapMirror for storage virtual machines or storage virtual machine DR slash you know, SVMDR. Uh, this is the ability to set up a relationship between two storage virtual machines. And as you modify the source virtual machine, add QoS policies to it, add volumes to its namespace, um, you know, any, any sort of, of configuration change like that that happens at the source, that metadata uh, that defines the storage virtual machine itself, right. not not just the data inside of it, gets transferred over to the destination system. Right. So uh, if you you know if you set up this relationship, you add a volume, and you, at the source system, that volume will automatically be created in the destination system, and a replication relationship will be established for you. Uh, it has two um, two sort of flavors to it: identity preserve mode and identity discard mode. Identity preserve mode um, preserves the network configura configuration at the um, at the, the destination system. So mm -hmm. the same IP addresses, uh, same you know SIF server membership, same DNS information, you know that that sort of thing. Uh, all of that gets replicated to the destination system in identity preserve mode. That is useful for if you have you know two clusters in the same data center, um, same layer two connectivity, and you want to be able to fail over to the uh, to the destination system, or to you know have the uh, do a DR to the the secondary system. Um, identity discard mode is um, for uh, those cases where maybe you have um, uh, the DR relationship is is at a different data center, so you're going to be using. Maybe different uh, different name services. You might need a different SIFS account, SIFS machine account. Um, you might need different IP addresses, that sort of thing. In identity discard mode, that information is not transferred over to the destination system. So 
if you have, by the way, a you know a, a a relationship where you want to go to another layer two network, you can still use identity preserve mode and preserve everything else. It just means that if you do a DR, you're going to have to do some remediation, right, to set the correct IP addresses yeah. and that sort of thing. So let's. D- t- oh man, there's a lot of two through here. This is a big yeah. one. Yeah. Um, let's let's start back at the beginning. Uh, so first and foremost, so when you create a snap mirror virtual machine SVM DR relationship, it I don't create snap mirror relationships on volume levels anymore. It the, the only relationship I manage is at the SVM level. That's correct, and it will maintain the volume level, um, you know, replication for you. I'm smiling so big right now, it's not even funny. Where has this been in my life? (laughs) This SVM goes to that SVM. Done. Yep, change management's handled for you. Greatly simplified um, in terms of of that uh, replication relationship. The, uh, I mean, I guess I'll just come out and say it. Like, I I look at the the identity preserve versus non-preserving or identity discarding configure. To me, that just screams data fabric. Like that just screams like as we were building this feature, we were thinking about the cloud, because especially with cloud on tap and AWS, net private storage, everything we're doing around around uh, service provider environments, like th- this just seems purpose built for that operational model. I, I believe that that's true. I definitely think that's something that we that we had in mind when we developed this feature set. Right. It's um, uh, you know, going forward, I think people are going to expect a certain amount of mobility of their their data um, between you know between clouds between their data centers you know wherever they need their data to to wind up going right so um uh yes i think that that is a that, that is probably a perfectly valid uh, uh observation i mean it's so with 831 let's 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 just lay this out there for the listener we could build a system I've got my primary data center. Right. My primary data center, I'm running 831 AFFP, uh, all flash FAS personality. I've got uh, just screaming late, uh, screaming low latency, ultra high performance with inline compression and always on deduplication and storage savings so that I'm, I'm, I'm maintaining that cost control on-prem. I can then do an SVMDR relationship to, let's say, a secondary site in an SP-hosted colo on a non-flash tier, so replicate directly from flash to non-flash, whatever that tier is, or or to another flash tier, right? And then and 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 get my DR there, and be able to do a single command failover from my primary data center to the hosted colo, to include all of the configuration settings that are locked inside our storage controllers, all the Active Directory membership, the NIS information, the SIF shares, the the NFS exports. I groups, all that stuff. Yep. Do I got that? Um, everything except the I groups. Right? Oh, okay. So SAN information is not replicated. In oh, these, that makes sense. In these configurations. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it is kind of as you would expect. Yeah. Um, the LUNs themselves are still replicated. It just means that, you know, if you do a, a DR, you're going to have to establish that um, that configuration at the destination system. Hmm. Very cool. C- can I then tier that relationship again? So taking my, 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 my example where I've got... On-prem in my own data center, I'm I'm doing SVMDR into an SP colo. Could that I then take that SP colo uh, uh, copy and tear it up into a cloud on tap instance or into NPS, or would I need to do another SVMDR relationship from the primary? In terms of tearing something up, do you mean like 
non-disruptively move it or no no i just want to be able it can't well actually let me just start with a more basic question is svmdr a one-to-one relationship or is it a one-to-many or does it support a tiered model and you can you can go to uh cloud on tap as well to an svm and cloud on tap I don't know the answer to that, nor do I know whether or not um, you can um, have like a multi-tier, multi-hop model. I'd hey, we did to. it. It took us 45 <laughs> minutes, but we finally found a question that Jay didn't know the answer to off the top of his head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to think we I were throwing him softballs. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that, that does. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen back to this entire SVMDR conversation one more time because this, like, this seems like a huge part of this release. Well, there's, there's, there's also like Jay, step in and, and and correct me if I'm overstepping here, but like forget about the the business continuity disaster recovery use case. Like this is just another level of 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 kit for us inside the data motion family. So like when we start looking at you know helping customers go through operational changes, running in that agile model where you're continuously making modifications to production. SVMDR, this gives us a mechanism to move a fully product, uh, a full production environment from one cluster to a completely separate cluster. So, so now we really don't have any boundaries anywhere. Right, without having to micromanage all that, all those configuration details yeah. and that sort of thing. Absolutely, that's the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, we're getting close to the end here. Why don't you do us a favor and just round it up? I know you wanted to talk about some other features that are uh, uh, in, in this release. Uh, is there anything else that you think that we can uh, discuss before we take off? Um, cluster peering from the non-default IP space, that that's important for service providers oh, yeah. who need to have, like, say, for example, um, overlapping IP addresses between replication relationships in a single cluster. Okay. Um, that is supported in 8.3.1. Uh, more information is available on that. Um, you know, I suspect that it'll probably be a subset of this audience who would be interested in that. But yeah. um, there, that is something um, if you are a service provider that you'll want to look into. Um, AFF support and system manager, including support for that three-step automated upgrade. I don't know if you if you all remember when we talked about that in eight th- in the eight three yeah. podcast. Um, so that is another area where we did a great deal of simplifying all of those takeovers, give back system image installs, that sort of thing that you have to do when you upgrade a system. All of that, you know, as of 8.3 could be do, done with three commands in the command line. Now it can be done with three commands in System Manager. Um, a number of enhancements around usability, um, like sending audit logs to uh, syslog servers, uh, support for um, LDAP and NIST authentication for cluster admin uh, administrators. Uh, support for the banner, support for the message of the day. A um, couple of protocol enhancements, support for dynamic uh, DNS, support for Windows uh, NFS v3 clients, uh, support for configuring a guest Unix user. So if you have a, uh, a Windows uh, domain uh, where mm. you wanted to map them to a guest yeah. user, you're able to do that in 8.3. You can map all of the administrators group to root, uh, which is nice uh, to not have to maintain each and every one of those uh, administrator uh, you know, entries. Yeah, that was an old uh, trick back with the seven mode days when you were in a smaller shop. You just do the, the, user, the user config map and boom, boom. Now it doesn't matter if you're coming in through Unix or Windows, you're always rooting it. You always have access. It's yeah. really handy in smaller shops. Yeah. Um, some enhancements around trim support, um, some enhancements around SQL Server. Some of those, um, some of the um, workarounds for DBCC yep. are now gone. Uh, support for a lift sufficiency checker. This uh, this allows you to um, the system to uh, tell you if a lift is ineligible to uh, 
be moved to another port um, in the event uh, that maybe you had misconfigured uh, a, a, a failover group or that you know that that sort of configuration error. The lift sufficiency checker is there to help prevent that configuration problem. Um, a couple of other things there around uh, preventing people from shooting themselves in the foot. Um, you can't create a, um, a data volume in the root aggregate. <laughs> Good. Um, and support for um, a command that'll show you your license entitlement risk status. Cloud on tap encryption. Yeah, this one is huge. Absolutely. We're going to have to get the, the, the cloud group in here to talk about some of the stuff they're doing. But can you give us a, a brief one for the, for the listeners? Yeah, so every customer that I speak with about the cloud security is, is their top concern. It's the only concern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like everything about the cloud is awesome except for the fact that you're, you're risking everything, yep. and it's a high-risk proposition. <laughs> And, and we understand that, and that's why we delivered um, cloud on tap encryption in 8.3.1. This is aggregate-level encryption Ooh. for cloud on tap. Um, uses the same sort of key management uh, framework that you would use for NSE. Um, maybe you guys could get Kevin or somebody in here to elaborate on it, but it's, um, it, it addresses that fundamental problem that people have with the cloud, and that is exposure to... Um, you know, to uh, malicious act actors, whether, you know, uh, whether whether the validity of that concern aside, um, you know, it is the, on the top of people's minds. So did I, did I hear you say NSE, which means that you, the customer, own the keys to your encryption? That is that's the goal here, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, like a, a EBS volume or something like that, um, where you might not have um, exclusive control over the keys. That is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's the way it should be. As a matter of fact, I was just reading an article this morning about how the FBI, they're starting to, they want companies to back off end-to-end -end encryption. They haven't put anything in place to, uh, to, to actually make this uh, the truth, but they want to be able to, uh, to get inside uh, and see, uh, track folks like ISIS and everything. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but it, for, I get why they're asking that. The the case study and why that is a terrible idea exactly. is Hack Team. Exactly. Just 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 go look up what the hell happened to Hack Team, right? You don't put backdoors in your products. Security must be complete. There cannot be a way to get around it. Exactly. Yeah, I I, I certainly agree with that. Um, having, um, you know, uh, I guess potentially have been exposed to <laughs> this nonsense that's going on now. You know, yeah. it's um, it's. It's it's dangerous to put in back doors. You you need to have your your exclusive control. Yeah, over your data. Absolutely. You know, I had a, I had an EBC uh, yesterday with a, a very large law firm out of uh, Tennessee, and and we we started talking about their infrastructure. And at a certain point, you know, just kind of asked him nonchalantly, "Hey, have you guys looked at the cloud?" And very first words out of their mouth, you know, "We'd love to do it. We can't. Uh, we we don't trust it." We cannot lose our customer data. Yep. It's it's that simple. We lose a single document, we're out of business forever. It's it's black and white. It's not worth the cost savings for us. Yep. Fair enough. Well, we'll have to get Kevin in to uh, Kevin Hill or, or or someone from the cloud services group to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, they for 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 them, you know, they just said they weren't even interested, which of course, you know, led to a. Let me introduce you to this little thing we like to call NetApp Private Storage. Exactly. <laughs> and self-encrypting drives. Let, let yeah. me show you how to maintain that same level of compliance and control to the point where I don't care what the intelligence agency is. I don't care what country they're from. 
they have to call your IT department if they want your data because you're the only ones that have access to exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. All right. Well, man, that was a that was a ton of stuff. If I could just do a wrap up here, we've talked about all flash FAS performance enhancements, inline compression with all flash FAS, two node metro cluster configurations, foreign LUN import is now enhanced, storage virtual machine DR, cluster peering from multiple IP spaces, usability protocol and availability enhancements, and last but not least, cloud on tap encryption. My goodness, that is a ton for one release. <laughs> we didn't even talk about my favorite. You're you're gonna think I'm silly for this. My favorite part, performance metrics are now in System Manager. No, I'm with you on it. No, no, I'm... <laughs> I, finally back. Yeah, no, seriously, guys. Customers, you're not the only ones that have been sitting here throwing your hands in the air going, are you kidding me? I seriously have to go to the command line to figure out, like, what, what the current status of, of this system is? Yeah. Uh, it, it was... We had bigger fish to fry. We cooked all those fish. And then we finally got to this one, too. <laughs> now it's time for dessert. Yeah. <laughs> finally back. It's been since the days of the MMC plugin since we had the last time we had the performance metrics in the dashboard. So Yeah, we're, we're, we'll save that conversation for, for when we get Mr. Isaacs in here, when we talk about his new love for Grafana, um, because there's, there's a lot of exciting stuff that we've done around uh, the performance visualization in the, across the product solution suite, right? Not just... Uh, system manager on box, but also uh, on command performance manager and on command insight or OCI. You know, it, it continues to just be a barn beater, just knocking anything over that tries to compete with it um, in the industry. So it's it absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we'll definitely get Dan Isaacs in to talk about that. Well, good, Jay. I want to thank you for coming in. It's been a it's been a, a wealth of information. I'm, we're definitely going to have you in again soon. Uh, I see I see we've got a pretty good cadence coming in here. So uh, I guess we'll see you for eight point three point two. You know, you don't have to wait for a release. I'm always happy to talk to you guys. I had a, I had a lot of fun. I do every time. So awesome. Thank you. Feel free to stick in for the news, but we're going to just cover a couple of things and wrap it up real quick. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. We, we're already at about five minutes before the end of the show, so we won't go over too many, the, too many headlines for our first show. But I did want to make a couple of announcements, one of which is uh, VMworld is coming up. VMworld US is on August 30th through September 3rd, and VMworld Europe is October 12th through 15th. Uh, we're going to have uh, about five or so sessions in each one of those. And so there'll be a VVOL session with Peter Lermont. Uh, there'll be an All Flash Faz uh, session with uh, Chris Gephardt. There's a data protection session uh, with yours truly and Rachel Dines. Uh, and then there's also going to be a NetApp Vision session with our good friend Val Bercovici. That yeah. is one not to miss. Yeah, you, you, you're definitely going to want to make all those sessions. Also, make the U.S. event because you're going to be busy when EMEA happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll be in Vegas throw, burning it down for uh, Insight again. Oh, yeah. We will definitely see you in Vegas for Insight. Uh, speaking of insight, uh, I, I happened to see a quick video, and I'll, I'll share some of the audio from it. But it's a it's a it's a plug about uh, Insight 2015, and so let me play that real quick. If you want to know and be in the know on NetApp, you have to be here to talk to the technical partner engineers, talk to the product managers. They network, they teach each other, they learn accessions. They have some of the best technical sessions that you can go to. If you want to go deep, they have the deep dives. If you want the overviews, they have the overviews. Customers are not coming out to Insight. Now they're learning about other ways that they can utilize NetApp and NetApp technologies. It's giving them the same love and vision for uh, NetApp that we have ourselves. It's really expanding 
uh, what they think about in terms of what's possible for their businesses. There's no way that when you're working in the field that you can gather a breadth of experience from all these different installations and people and companies. This environment, which is very cooperative, allows that. We are enabling our customers, and together, we can build something awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I want to go to Insight now. Absolutely. Let's go, man. Yeah, the video is on uh, is on uh, netappinsight.com. I think it's netapp-insight.com. Yep. But the thing that I thought was funny about that video is, like, all those voices that you heard, that's almost like the entire, like the whole core of the A team. You know, the the NetApp A team. Yeah, there's a bunch of great guys, and so those are some some familiar faces on that video there. Speaking of the NetApp A team, uh, one of the things that we will continue. Uh, Nick started this uh, before uh, you know before the break, uh, and it's something that we're definitely passionate about, and we want to continue. We want to definitely continue to have those NetApp A team segments yeah. where we bring some of those guys in and, and uh, talk about their different areas of expertise. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to figure out a royalty way method of 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 playing. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, bring those guys in, meet the A team, man. They're absolute rock stars. And 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 if you don't know who we're talking about, just keep listening. We'll introduce you to them. But we've got some wildly competent professionals out there that that are just crushing it in the real world. These aren't NetApp employees. These are partners and resellers. They they. They choose to to sell more NetApp than 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 the competition, but they still sell the competition, right? These are guys that that this is their guys and gals. This is what they do for a living. Uh, so so we're very very keen on on keeping their their voice in the show um, because they they quite frankly keep us honest. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Well, anything else, guys? Do you have anything else before we wrap this up? Andrew, Jay, Glenn. No, just great to be back. All right, well, then before we leave, let's just do a quick shout-out to Jay Goldfinch. Thank you again for coming. Uh, you're on Twitter, at Jay Goldfinch, right? That is correct. Follow me. <laughs> I'm already following you, but, yeah, if, if, you, if you're not following Jay, please do so. We've got Glenn Size, more at Glenn Size. Andrew Sullivan, it's... Uh, at Andrew underscore N-T-A-P. That's it. And I am at V Pedro Arrow. That music tells me it's time to wrap it up. So if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.netup.com or follow us on Twitter collectively at ONTAPPodcast. And until next week, bye for now. So is this is is this where we do karaoke now? Yeah, this you is ready? where we dance. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah you want to dance? Now it's the time of Shrakus when we done yeah. <laughs> Hey, there's uh there's some support engineers barbecuing with, with beer out on the quad. Let's go. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh yeah. <laughs>